The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Yep. Hi, my name is Linda Dong. I am a content creator on the internet. I mainly do comedy. <laughs> Welcome to The Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over. You know, looking back at your upbringing, you're from Canada and you recently got a 10-year visa. You know, congratulations for getting that. Can you tell me about the process of what that was like? It was very hard. So I started social media about 10 years ago. And so I would always fly in and out of LA from Canada. And it was just a really hard process to have because I didn't have enough, um, like, you know, TV and being movies and stuff. It's so hard, especially 10 years ago. I feel like there weren't a lot of roles for a lot of people that were Asian. And so um, it was really hard getting a visa. But in my head, I'm like, hopefully one day I could move here and like work here and stay here and not have to fly back all the time. And so it was a process and journey, but we're here and yeah, my team is awesome. And yeah, I'm just really excited to be able to do more stuff. 10 years is a long time. Uh, mm -hmm. I think to go on an artist's journey uh, to last even three years is a, is a brutal, it's just a brutal thing. What do you mm -hmm. think really drove you to keep going? I mean, I, you probably didn't start out with the same vision of who you were going to be 10 years ago, right? Can you walk me through that uh, that idea of that journey? Yeah, I would say, yeah. So 10 years ago, this my, my teen, maybe a teenager, I was just like, I was really open to the world. And I was like, okay, I want to do, like, I wanted to do a lot of things. And I think what really pushed me to do social media was I've always wanted to be an actress when I, ever since I was 14. And so because there weren't a lot of roles that were open and a lot of stories that weren't, wasn't told, being an Asian female and like a main lead for that, I was like, I could just write my own stories and I could showcase this on YouTube back then when it was like the only platform I felt like I could use. And so that's when I started to post videos and then seeing people relate to them, like the Asian American community. And it's Asians all over the world to my videos in Singapore and in, in Vietnam, even in like London, it was like really crazy to see the reach for that. And I think that really pushed me to be like, oh, I think I have a voice and I should continue because representation is so important. And to see that, you know, like I could do it and then like I'm putting content, people could also put out content as well and be inspired to to have their own voice as well. What, what do you think at 14 mm. inspired you to become an actress? I So I grew up watching Paris by Night. <laughs> so my family ever since I feel like since I was like a child, they would play Paris by Night every single day for dinner time. So we would watch musicians and singers and comedic acts. And and so I grew up watching pretty much Vietnamese people on TV. Um, even though it was, you know, it was a DVD, CD, 
I didn't know that when I was younger. I thought it was just whatever was on TV. And so I grew up seeing that. I'm like, that's so cool. You know, so that was my my entertainment growing up mainly. Who would have ever thought that Paris by Night would inspire <laughs> this new generation? Because, you know, we, we're around it all the time and we see it on TV and we always make fun of it. Mm -hmm. But the more the community evolves and matures, we there's a lot of people who say what you say, how the Paris by Night and Asia uh, entertainment really was like the foundation for their sort of dreams to become part of the entertainment, um, Vietnamese entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. I think because we saw it. I think when you see things when you're younger, it's like, I want to do that. I, I And then like, like you start learning. It's kind of like, yes, I feel like when you when you see something and you enjoy it, you want to try it out and you want to do it. And it's, it's, it's inspiring. Yeah. Recently, you went to an event uh, that we held uh, here in LA and Gauki Zuin was there. Did you get to, mm. a chance to say hello to her? Oh my God. I want to tell you how that reaction was because I had no idea she was coming. First of all, that party was amazing. So thank you for inviting and hosting. Thanks for coming. That was a very uh, cool Vietnamese party. So I literally was at the food table and I was I was eating a spring roll and I looked up and Grisian was right there. And I was like, are you kidding me? I literally looked to my manager and I was like, no way. I grew up, like, like I said, I grew up every single day like, watching Paris by night. So I was just shocked. I was, I was, I was fangirling. I came up to her. I told her that she's really cool and everything. She was really nice. And that was really exciting for me to see that. You know, the crazy thing about Gijin is she went to law school and she tells me all the time, it's like my dream as a, as a young girl is to become an actress. Mm. And she is now, you know, uh in the sympathizer and it's incredible to see her journey but you like you think like somebody who's like an mc at that level for paris by night an icon in the vietnamese community has always wanted to be a hollywood actress it's like mm -hmm. amazing right and now she's achieved it yeah that's i know i'm just like i'm just like i feel like you know the writer should have gotten her like way earlier i'm like she's so talented on her her own by herself like all, like always i've always seen her as so iconic and i'm so excited for her to to have her in the synthesizer and yeah i hope to see more of her yeah. <laughs> like in in movie she should be she should be as uh, she should yeah. be so when you were starting out i mean it sounds like you were looking for more dramatic roles or creating dramatic roles how did it evolve into being in a comedian Mm -hmm. Yeah, for for me, I I love. I think I I have two types of personalities. I love comedy and I love drama. I love expressing myself and showing emotions. And so with with comedy, I think it kind of came watching like Hong Hong Lin on Paris mm -hmm. Night and like um, Mad TV and watching Disney Channel really helped too. A lot of these comedy sketch shows, and so. I always enjoyed watching people laugh. I don't know. I, it's just fun for me to see people laugh, smile, have fun. I feel like it's a very Vietnamese thing to joke around and just be silly. And I've always enjoyed that. And so that's why I wanted to do more comedy. Yeah. And what was the sort of the evolution? Because, I mean, if you think about like wanting to become a dramatic actor, it's pretty serious. But at some point in your your last 10 years, something had to transition. What created that? space for you to say you know what i'm gonna just try to deliver this and go for that 
Mm-hmm. I think when I, yeah, when I was posting videos, like short films on my YouTube and testing out video content, it was the comedic ones that people really shared and resonated with. And, and for me, I enjoyed making those a lot, even though I, I love making dramatic films and like acting in them and stuff, but co- comedy was me was more, I think more of joy. And so I started kind of like transitioning there. I think after seeing the audience reaction to the types of content I was producing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've met you several times in in life, and you seem like a very serious person, you know. And it's, <laughs> I am. <laughs> you are so serious, and to go from like, you know, experiencing who you are as a person in in real life, and then to go and check out the TikTok videos, this is it's mind blowing. I'm like, how do you transition? Like, how do you go from just being who you are to this completely different uh, character? Yeah, I'm. Yes, a lot of people don't know I'm a very calm in person. Like I'm very calm and very serious in person, and I think it 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 confuses people. Yeah. I don't know, just I just this is who I am. Um, but I think yeah, it, having TikTok and it's just kind of an outlet to ex- express myself and be silly and have fun and be free. I think my life day to day is actually really serious, and so I think that's why I'm so serious in person. But I also I I take some time to open up to people. Um, I am an, an introvert at yeah. first. I think, and then there are moments where I'm extroverted, but then I go back into my mind and I'm like introverted again. So I I have moments of just like, just to in my head about the, like just kind of closed sometimes. And so yeah, <laughs> you uh, your journey is has been a, a long journey. Uh, I've heard you uh, speak at the Asian Hustle Network event, and I was really touched by the message that you said. It's like was very difficult for you in the early years. Can you tell me a little bit about that early years and what kept you going? Mm-hmm. Early years, for sure, was hard. I think being an Asian female in comedy, for sure, was kind of hard because it it's not really seen often. And so a lot of people would be like, when they meet me, like, oh, are you like, they just kind of generalize who I am. And, you know, of course, there were a lot of racist comments in the beginning. Um, a lot of there's like racist and also like sexist and it was like it was it was difficult for me because I didn't grow up with too many uh, female comedians so I wasn't really sure how to navigate doing social media but then for me because I enjoyed it so much and it was such a passion to to share and to express myself it kind of it kept me going um, and also having that community um, the Asian community just to support me and when they see me in person and they're like we really enjoy your videos it means a lot to me there's not a lot of us you know a lot of um, representation out there and that really kept me going too i'm like i i need to keep doing this for early um young content creators what do you think was your why like because i think you know the first three years of any of these artists journeys five three five three to five years in the early years are critical because it's very, very easy to quit. And mm-hmm. a lot of people do quit and they move on to, you know, uh, serious lives and, you know, they don't pursue the difficulty and they don't realize what, what do you think was the why the, the, the true reason why you were like, all right, but I, and I hear what you're saying about like, it, it made you feel good and all that, but was mm-hmm. there like a, a, a deeper why on why you continue to, to keep going? I think, uh, yes, for sure. I, for me, as well, like being Asian Canadian, like I felt like I needed to show that we have a voice being Asian 
and that like we're awesome and we can do cool stuff and we can have universal topics and we're not always stereotyped as a certain way um that we have these universal stories and I think it really opened a lot of people's eyes to like oh yeah this is we're not just boxed in to one story we we have feelings emotions you know and like I wanted to show that in my short films and that was something I I really wanted to show the world and then you know in those early years like who did you look up to in terms of the people and the women that were sort of in your your field of a vision you know I, I don't think Ali Wong at the time was blown up yet, but mm. who were some of your uh, female comic heroes or dramatic heroes? Mm -hmm. um, I remember Lucy Liu watching Charlie's Angels when I was younger. I was like, that's so cool. She's so kick-ass. Um, Bobby Lee from Mad TV was a comedian that I'm like, he's so funny. He's Asian. I would say those two. Oh, Ellen DeGeneres yeah. um, as a comedian, as someone who was constantly bringing happiness and light every time with her daytime talk show and Disney Channel Brenda Song she was did a sketch more like um, more comedies for Disney Channel and that was like on her Disney on the jet on the show so that was really fun to see so those were I would say my yeah I looked up to I've seen some of your early work um and they are not as tight as the crisp comedy sketches that you do today mm. how was that process sort of like to tighten things down how did mechanically you approach this uh tightening of the sketches that you went as as the time went on mm -hmm. yeah i've been watching the i would say whenever i post content out watching the engagement uh, engagement and mm -hmm. really understanding people's the comment section and the likes it kind of gave me feedback to how to tighten things what they like what they didn't like yeah be, because you know sometimes it's not easy to be so self-aware about what mm -hmm. to tighten and you know but it it takes somebody who's like really looking at this stuff with a critical eye mm -hmm. to to really hone in on the things that you need to work on and you know wh at what point do you think that it felt like okay i'm getting this tighter what like wh what how many years into this i would say past two years i I think when I was on TikTok and then I started to go viral and that's when I'm like, oh, I think I, I think I, I think I found the recipe to- Wait, wait, wait. in the just company. the last two years? Yeah. Oh my God. I was God. just in the last two years. That is so insane to think because it's like, it like you were at it for eight years and you didn't mm -hmm. really click into that. Yeah. That's mind blowing to think about because, you know, most of us can't hang for more than five years doing and pursuing this stuff. I wanted to give up two years ago, like everything, social media. And tell me about that. Yeah, it was a journey. It was um, this was a little. Was this, but that is, yeah, this was during pandemic. I was I started on TikTok. So TikTok is really quick, 15 second videos. And so I was. I quit my YouTube channel and I wanted to try something new and I went to TikTok. I was producing content and I wasn't doing well at all. Um, like I was doing okay. I'm very hard on myself. So when I say I'm not doing well, it, it, I, I'm just, yeah, <laughs> I'm just hard on myself when I say that, but, um, I was doing okay. 
And um, I had some people, you know, in the comment section saying your video sucks, like stop, quit, all these really mean, nasty things. And so I did for, I would say for two months, I was just, I don't want to do social media anymore. I don't want to do anything anymore. Like I felt like I lost the creativeness. Um, These people are right. And then my friend, I had a conversation with my friend and he told me that, you know, like you've done it for eight years. You're so good. Like you're one of the funniest people I know. I think you can really go back and try again. And that, that was the reason why I went back. And and I started to, I was like thinking of things, what I can do. And I'm like, "Hmm, I want to do something that is like a version of myself, but someone who has more fun with it. And so I started to make kind of do make more TikTok videos and just say what what was on my mind. And then pretty went like 10 10 million in in a year, Um, which is insane. That's what I'm saying. I was just like, what? That's all like, I think I, I think I did something pretty special here where a lot of people can resonate and enjoy and laugh during the pandemic, which was a really dark time for a lot of people. So yes, that was something that was. Well, figure out, I want to figure out this whole eight year journey before (laughs) that happened. So at this point in your life, if you were to look back on those eight years, would you, knowing what you know now, would you go back to and tell yourself, keep going and you'll crack it eventually? Or was Mm -hmm. it the right time to to move on after eight years? I think it was the right time for me to step aside from YouTube. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I done it. I basically, I had a strict schedule the first, probably like first five years where I was producing content almost every day. So I was filming, writing, editing, casting, producing, finding locations, and every week staying up till 4 a.m. editing my own videos. Um, basically the day would be like, I would film that day. Like I would film on a Monday and then I would edit it till like 4 a.m. almost every single day until I have it out on Thursday. So my schedule is usually Thursday. I would produce videos and sometimes I would make two videos a week. So Tuesday and Thursday. And so it was, it was a really strict schedule I had. And a lot of people don't understand that grind. You know. Yeah, a lot of people don't know. They they think, oh, social media is so easy. She just posts videos. I'm like, no, there's a lot of mental breakdown that goes into it and the effort and everything. And yeah, it's not that easy. Yeah. And this whole thing about luck and timing, because I talked to Stephen Ho about this um, on another podcast where, you know, he was at the acting grind for a, a many, many number of years and didn't get an opportunity or didn't get the, the launch. And with you and him, the advent of TikTok changed the game for both of your careers. And now it has changed the face of the Vietnamese com- comedy scene, right? Mm-hmm. To have you two lead the pack. I mean, I don't know anybody else with bigger numbers than you and Steven, but TikTok is a result of that. And TikTok is now producing careers for the Vietnamese American uh, you know, I don't know what happens on the outside, the other diasporas of Viet- Vietnamese culture, but within the Vietnamese American culture, I know clearly uh, now that you and Li- you and um, Stephen are leading the pack, it is a real uh, shift because of TikTok. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, without it, what do you think? Sort of what would have been the next platform? Oh my gosh. Yeah, when I quit YouTube, I was like, what do I do next? And if there wasn't TikTok, 
I think I would probably do I think I would actually step aside from social media I think I would actually go into film and doing behind the scenes in terms of like writing stories or editing I think I'll probably do that if I didn't have social media because I wouldn't know what else to do to be honest damn you think about that that's like a whole life's trajectory mm -hmm. because a platform just like showed up and allowed you and Steven to really blossom mm -hmm. yeah also because of the pandemic I, I stayed home because I live with my parents and my family and so I didn't want to, I didn't want them to get sick and I felt really scared to go outside I didn't want to feel the burden if, if I went outside party with my friends and got sick that it would bring it home to them. So I actually stayed in my room for about like a year and a half and I didn't see my friends. So I was, that's what I became really to myself, but in a bad way, bad and weird way, like it's bad and it's good, but it actually made me focus more on creativity and content because I never went outside. Wow. And your mom and dad ever pressure you to sort of get a, a regular job or uh, figure out your career path? They always do. You know, they, uh, my, my parents, not so much anymore, but they all, they always growing up, they're just like, I don't know about social media. We don't know if that would work, which I understand, you know, they came from Vietnam and it, you know, they're used to seeing jobs that were more traditional for sure, like doctors and lawyers and real estate agents. And so like re going to real estate. And so they growing up, they, did tell me like you should go into real estate because they knew that right I understand like my parents they, they know that field so they want me to get into it but I told them that I wanted to they want to do social media and they just kind of believed in me which I'm really lucky that they did and I was able to kind of be where I am now you know there's a lot of stars uh, whether it's singing or acting or whatever in the arts you know artists that paint there's stars out there that you know, come to the table with talent, some modicum of talent. But what I have been learning now, just watching uh, our community and the communities outside of our community is really the superstars come from the grind, like mm -hmm. Kobe. You, mm -hmm. you cannot arrive at these numbers if you hadn't done the eight years. You can't arrive at this and achieve this sort of like this body of work if you didn't go through the everyday daily really strict scheduling how do you what would you say to younger people who are starting out in this journey how do you keep it going mm -hmm. I, I would say that that, that when, what you said i totally understand that resonate with that because that's how my mindset was when i was first starting i was like basically like trained like an athlete like you have to wow. put in the work every single day um, because if you don't, then you're not going to get to the next step. And I goal set so much. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do every day? What am I going to do every week to hit my goals? What am I going to do every month to hit my goals? What am I going to do every year to hit my goals? And I had like a five year, um, five year goal setting. Um, and so just be being continuous doing that with that grind, it's going to be really hard because I did it. And I like it. It was it was like really hard, but I you, like I think kind of being seeing it laid out, um, writing it down really helps to 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 help navigate where to go.
And even that. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's crazy because you said that was a five-year plan. You went to year eight and mm -hmm. about to give up. Mm -hmm. That is like extraordinary to me because, you know, we, a lot of people probably don't know that about you or about Stephen Hove, that in order to get those numbers, I mean, it, these aren't like just like overnight successes. It, it really is not an overnight success. It's like a 10-year overnight success plan that you could have quit at year five when you didn't hit your metrics, right? Mm -hmm. And then you would take it another three years, mm -hmm. go to year eight, and then at year eight, you're like, okay, I'm tapped out. I can't do this. And then a platform shows up like TikTok, and it changes the, it reverses the course of, of your life. Mm -hmm. I think it's always being curious. It helped me a lot because I'm always curious about everything. And so when I was like, okay, even though I'm I'm done with YouTube and it was, I had a really great time with it and moving on to a new, new platform, I'm like, I'm curious to see how this works and where I could, like where I can go with it. And I think that's what made me, motivated me to like try and keep going. In the last decade, what, what has been some of the hardest things that you've gone through? I would say mental health for sure um it's not i think it's not really easy like people see like the glam version of like doing social media they're like oh you're like going to these events you're meeting a lot of cool people but the back end of it is for sure it's like the comments are you know there's haters there are people who are very nice and they're very mean but they're also mean in person too so it's like people don't understand that so much there yeah there's a lot of rude Rude people <laughs> everywhere. That would roll right up to you. Yeah, they would be. They would say really rude things to me. So that's something I've actually never shared ever before. That there's, it's like I think a lot of people are really shocked too, right? If they say that, like, oh, you do comedy, how can you be like? How could someone want to like be mean to you or whatever? Yeah. But no, there's mean people around all the time, and that's something that I had to deal with too. So that's why it kind of made me more introverted because when I go out to parties or go outside, I would encounter like rude people um, because based on like what I do. Um, and so that's probably one of the hardest things. Um, but then also like, yeah, doing that, having a bad day and then bad day is in terms of like people just not being nice and then putting a smile on my face and making videos <laughs> like, yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And then on top of that, you have metrics, you have numbers that you're not hitting, you have I don't know, financially, I mean, I can't imagine what a struggle that is for the first eight years of your life, right? Oh, for sure. I wasn't I wasn't making income for two years. So on the side, I was a wedding photographer and videographer. So I was paying my own bills by doing um, like weddings. I, I really love weddings. I always, I tell people all the time, it's so fun. Oh, really? <laughs> like, it's actually really fun. I would <laughs> well, do it what? again. <laughs> what is it about weddings that are fun to cover? It's everyone's really happy. Mm. It's a really happy, joyous moment. Fran family, friends are getting together. I love hearing how people meet because that's just like, I don't know. I think it's really cool. It's like, oh, you know, like, like love stories, right? And yeah. I love love stories and pe people and connection. And, you know, as I'm taking the pictures and 
are recording the videos for someone's wedding, I'm hearing how they meet. I don't know. It's just like really nice. Everything's so like nice. <laughs> so yeah. Pretty. And, yeah. And so this is another component that, that we often don't think about with artists. They have these complementary skill sets mm -hmm. as a wedding photographer. You probably have to edit Photoshop, fix these images of these people. Mm -hmm. And it allows you for two years to hone this sort of practice of the visual side of, of storytelling that you can incorporate into your toolbox a few years down the road. Yeah, for sure. I would say because, you know, weddings was my job, I had to also research too of how people recorded weddings and like took photos. And so that's like kind of another research too I had to that I had um to yes, that helped. Now transitioning over to another medium uh, I can see you getting into stand-up. Is that mm -hmm. something that's ever crossed your mind? Yeah. Um, I actually tried stand-up for the first time in, uh, I think it was two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago? Holy shit. Two weeks ago? Oh my, what day is it? No, wait, three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, I tried stand-up for the first time ever in my life. Um, growing up, people told me to do stand-up. And they're like, yeah, you're really funny. You should do it. And I'm like, stand up is a whole different form mm -hmm. of comedy. It is not just like me writing down scripts. It's jokes and waiting, pun like jokes, punchline and being on stage live and getting that instant audience reaction. So I did it three weeks ago. Um, it was probably one of the nervous, like nerve wracking thing I've ever done in my life. Um, when, okay, so what, what yeah. led you to that three weeks ago? So PK, he is uh, another stand-up comedian here in um, LA. And so he was like, hey, I really think you should do comedy. I've seen your stuff. You're really funny. So he told me that five years ago. He messaged me, was like, hey, I think you're really funny. You should do it. And I was like, oh. And I messaged back, no, I'm sorry. I'm like really shy. <laughs> like, I can't do it. And then I ran into him at an event where he was doing stand-up. And I'm like, that is so cool. Like, he's so good. And... I, I sent him a message and I'm like, hey, I saw your stand up, really cool, cool stuff. And he's like, hey, like you should still do stand up. And I was like, so I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? Life's short. It's something that was always on my mind. Might as well, you know, I'm curious. Like, might as well try it to see how it goes. And I did it and it went well, but I, it was still very nerve wracking. So did you sort of understand the technical side of it going in? Like the way it's written, the way you set things up? And did you have any inkling of the mechanical side of it I, f I thought I did at first like <laughs> when I was researching and watching comedians I thought I understood it and when I went there there were jokes that people weren't laughing at that I thought were funny um and so I was like oh my gosh I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how stand-up work even though I, I did I did pretty well I had some laughs um I'm still trying to understand the mechanics and the technicality of writing a stand-up yeah, it's its own world. It's its own world. It's very difficult. So I amend people who do stand up because it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, but you have a very distinct advantage, uh, as does Stephen Ho. You know, I think he, he I've, I've seen him perform live mm -hmm. and he knocks it out of the park. But there's this learning curve. But there's, again, this distinct advantage that you will have because if you hone it, all you have to do is put it out to your social media and you can pack the room because mm -hmm. most standups go cold from becoming stand-up comedians and building it the slow and grinding way of putting, you know, 
hours and hours into building their material and their base. But for you, it's like you have an opposite problem. You have to work on the material, you have to work on the mechanical delivery, all of that. And building up an hour of comedy is like almost like a year's worth of testing and, and running through the machine in the process, right? Yeah, for sure. That um, I was only up there for about five minutes. Yeah. But it took me a month to oh. write. A month to write every single day. Like that it was like I was rewriting rewriting it every day. Like I was working on it for like probably like like every hour like all day. <laughs> like for, for a month. I don't think people know that too. I think they think like a five minutes is set, maybe like two weeks. Nope. It was a straight a, a month. Even to the the day before I went up, I was still revising the the, the script. And where did you perform at? The Laugh Factory. Oh wow. Right at the yeah. gate. Yeah. And it was like an open mic night at the Laugh Factory, or did you have a position like somebody hooked it up with a slot for you? Mm -hmm. I just had a slot. I was lucky to have a slot. They they saw my uh, my TikToks and they're like, okay, I think she could go up there and, and do it. And so yeah. Did you um have you heard of like Embarrassed by Night or Six Two Six Laugh uh, Market? No, I haven't. Those um so yeah, I'll just give a shout out to those guys too. Fred Lay is a comedian and Andy Van. They've put on these shows like Embarrassed by Night is a play on Paris by Night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so they put on these shows with just Vietnamese comedians. So oh, they've okay. done it in Pasadena, Orange County, San Jose. They did their fourth one just recently in San Jose. And they are, you know, um, two comedians that bring all these Vietnamese comedians together and they want to take that nationally. So I hope to see you on, on one of those stages um, in the future. And then they recently came out with the more Pan-Asian uh, one, which is 626 Laugh Market, which is a play on the 626 Night Market. Okay. So, you know, 626 Night Market is a food market that has Pan-Asian here in San Gabriel Valley. It was founded here. And so these two shows, they're, you know, they're starting a monthly for the 626 um, Laugh Market uh, somewhere here in Monterey Park. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I think that'd be really funny to hear like the Vietnamese jokes of just yeah, like so what people are the upbringing and all that stuff. Their first one is March 10th in Monterey Park. You know, if you would like to join, uh, I'll put you in touch with the guys and, you know, get you a comp ticket so you can come out and check out their show. And then okay. <clears throat> they have a, a, a pretty interesting lineup and they're, they've been at this uh, comedy world for a few years. Cool. I think that'd be really cool. Cool to see. I love seeing other comedians and seeing all their material and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, what does it mean to be Vietnamese to you? 13 you know i was like i was i wasn't really sure what to like where i fit in um but then what but then when i went to vietnam when i was 21 and i'm like this is what it means to be vietnamese even though it seems weird mm -hmm. to say but it opened my eyes and it, it made me appreciate vietnamese culture so much and made me so proud to be vietnamese because I just remember seeing people at the cafe, like drinking coffee, laughing, listening to music. And I'm like, that's so fun. Like that's, that's who Vietnamese people are. That's how, and then, so when I came back to America, I started to really see and observe that for me, I don't know, Vietnamese people have always been like, you know, are to our food, to our culture, to who we are as people. We've always been really welcoming and family and fun. And that's to me, I'm just proud of being Vietnamese. Cause I don't know. I, I just, see that and I was always been pretty happy 
with yeah with yeah everything. It, <laughs> it, it, it's so ironic that our parents all left at the same time hmm. and then in order for us to like feel this kind of completion it mm -hmm. takes a trip to Vietnam to mm -hmm. kind of see where we all started. Mm -hmm. And no matter how backwards some of us think Vietnam is, or, mm -hmm. you know, not up to the level of uh, how the Western uh, Vietnamese people have lived, it does bring this level of comfort into your soul and go, wait a minute, <laughs> we're like, there's like a hundreds and hundreds of years of existence before we even left this place and we can see it and witness it in the villages uh people's ways of living that's mm -hmm. very happy and they're very uh community driven and you mm -hmm. come to the united states and you sometimes you know we live in communities where there's not a lot of us and mm -hmm. we are like we've cut the tethered uh the the, the cord back to the motherland and now through the sort of the the community uh in vietnam and the homeland we are now beginning to kind of like see that it's okay. It's really okay to be Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's just a huge connection now. I think ever since I traveled and I went back, I'm like, this is what it means to be Vietnamese. And I don't know. Our, I don't know. I'm just happy where we are, where we've been, what we've done. We struggled for sure. Like I, I know the struggle, my parents been through it and even though I, I haven't been through what my parents have been through, yep. like I under I understand it, um, to to see their struggle, and so I just appreciate you know it's like the immigrant story too. Even people who are born here, I, I think being being Asian itself, there's so much battles that we have to face every day, and I think that it makes me respect our people a lot more, and that's why yeah. I'm proud to be where we are because we everyone we tried really hard to be here and yeah. to have a voice and and. And now all all the law of Vietnamese movies are coming out with TV shows, which I'm really excited about. And yeah, and it's going to give us all an opportunity to to be more represented, um, and not just in the U.S. but globally. You know, because mm -hmm. the U.S. Hollywood is sort of like the cradle of where things like spring forth from. That energy that we have here in L.A. allows us to kind of like go forth and really put our faces and our um, stories out there. Mm -hmm. Something that's really cool that I was really excited for the first time ever in K-pop, like Korean music, um, they have a, a Vietnamese talent yeah. in a girl group. That was so, I was so excited for that. So I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so cool to have someone who is Vietnamese and in a global, like, k-pop group it's really cool and how brilliant are the koreans when they do that <laughs> like in i think Park. all of vietnam was like what yeah. so exciting so cool well i mean they were able to do that uh, in blackpink with the thai performer mm -hmm. right the thai singer and so that's like the next step is to bring this global sort of initiative all over the world and what better way to bring a whole country in when you get one of their you know performers to practice their ass off and become part of this machine that they have in korea yeah it's a it, i think yeah k-pop is a, a global thing that everyone enjoys and to and i grew up watching a lot of korean pop and so seeing someone vietnamese in that scene so, was like really cool 
K-pop is one of Korea's ownable exports. I mean, it's let's call it what it is. It's an ownable export that came from a friend of mine named George uh, on the East Coast. We talk, uh, he's a branch strategist and we talk about that quite often now. Mm -hmm. What do you think are some of our true brand exports? And even if it's not apparent now, looking into the future, what do you think some of our brand exports are? K Korea has K-pop, K-dramas, they have cars. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you see what do you foresee as one of Vietnamese ownable exports? I would say that a lot of the people that do beauty and social media are Vietnamese. Like Michelle Phan was one of the pioneers that opened the door for, I think, everyone. That was something that was really cool to, to see. Honestly, Paris by Night, I think that opened a lot of doors for people to do dancing yeah. and singing and acting. I would say those two also... Uh, we have really good food, yeah. cultures and food and all that. I think people are, 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 it was really cool to see people are enjoying and, and checking out yeah. our side. I'm going yeah. to put this on record, but I personally think Vietnamese people are the best looking in the world. <laughs> you know what? And I, that was nothing I, that I couldn't say that growing up. I could never say that growing up. Yeah. But now when I look at the world, there is like no better looking group of people than Vietnamese people. That's funny. I, I, yeah, I guess I, when I see a group of Vietnamese people, I'm like, oh, we're a pretty good looking bunch. We're a good looking bunch, I can say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to say it. I'm going to keep saying that all the time. I, I really do feel that way now. Um, what do you think makes shit funny? Mm -hmm. I think out of the ordinary and unexpected. Mm. That's what makes me laugh. Like Mr. Bean, he does like physical yeah. comedy because I never know what he's going to say or do. And I think the more not normal or out of the normal, it's funny or, or also relatable. Anything that I could relate to that... I go through all my day to day and I think about, and then someone else is thinking about it. Oh, well, that's funny that like we have the same thoughts. Yeah, those two things, um, and they're kind of like polar opposites if you think about it, right? So something that surprises you, but is also familiar. Mm -hmm. And I think the best comedian, yeah, I never thought about that. The best comedians can bring those two in time together to tie the thought. And that I think that's what tickles us, right? Sorry, what? I think that's what tickles us, right? Is the idea of like something so far out there, but whoa, that's familiar as well. Mm -hmm. That's what kind of creates that tickling energy uh, in all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a familiarity in a way. Yeah. And how do you know when your stuff, your own stuff is funny? Like, do you have a testing process? Do you go through uh, a series of um, testing rooms where you send it to your friends and go, what do you think? What can I correct? I mean, or do you just like do it and then just release it? I usually, I would say like 95% of the time, I, I write it. And if I laugh, I'm like, I think this is good. But if I'm not sure, I usually ask like my closest friends. I'm like, hey, do you think this is funny? Because I think it's kind of funny, but I'm not really sure. And they would give me feedback. Being like, yes, no. Or like, yeah, it's okay. And if they, if they say, yeah, it's okay. I'm like, okay, yeah, I probably won't do it. <laughs> Have you ever had a, uh, yeah, it's okay moment, and then it blew up? Yes. <laughs> so many, many, many times. <laughs> I remembered I showed a video to a friend, and I'm like, what do you think of this? My friend was like, eh, it's okay. And I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't post it. And they're like, yeah, you probably shouldn't post it. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to post it. I post it. It goes viral. 
And I think on my YouTube, it's one of the most virus videos on my YouTube. I think it's like maybe at 10, 10, 15 million on my YouTube. So yeah, you just never know. Content mm -hmm. creation, you just never know. <laughs> like <laughs> It's like more of the story. Yeah. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it and then you can read the engagement and the audience reaction. That's probably the best research. That's that's kind of the, your answer. And you just kind of curate your content from there. Yeah. What do you think? Why do you think there's so few Asian comedians? I think because there's not a lot of us doing it. And so it's hard to see the trajectory of success. But now there are a lot. Now yeah. I, I think every time I go on YouTube and look up stand-up comedians, they're actually a lot, which is great to see. But I think it's it's a hard, it's hard. Yeah. I think it's hard. It's well, just, well, it's straight up, it's hard. It's it's not an easy thing. And I, yeah, I think people just don't see it often. So they don't know that it could be something. I think with like music, you could learn how to sing and you could follow the parameters of a song or you can play piano and sing. And then there's like, there's a clear sort of objective, right? Like produce something beautifully coming out of your mouth and on your fingers and things you could tell if it's good or not based on reaction. Mm -hmm. But with stand-up comedians and with comedy, it is such a different science mm -hmm. because you don't know where to go. There's no framework for anybody to just go up there and be funny. Mm -hmm. And and so there's this sort of black hole, this black box of what do you do? How do you become this? How do you become funny? And how do you learn how to work this out? And especially if you grew up in a small Midwest town, there's no there's no institutions that you can just sign up and take classes and, and become that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it just, I don't know. I think my yeah. dad's my dad's funny. So I think I maybe got it from my dad <laughs> growing up. <laughs> I look forward to the many cool stuff that you're going to be putting out. Um, is there any projects or anything that you can talk about that is in development or what's next for you? Yeah, I will hopefully doing more stand up. It's really scary, but hopefully I'll be doing more of that. Um, I'll be doing more short comedic sketches again. I kind of stopped that for a bit on my YouTube, but I'm going to probably revamp it and do some more of that. So this year we'll be writing a lot of, like sketch comedy. Wonderful. I look forward to it. And Linda, thank you so much for coming on today. You know, I know it's been uh, a very busy year for you mm -hmm. and for you to take time off. I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very thankful for that. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was really cool and um, awesome party you had. <laughs> you know, if there's another one, let me know. We sure will. We are, <laughs> every year, you know, that was our second annual, but every year we'll be having him um, for the uh, entertainment community. And, you know, it's a pleasure and a joy to, to, to see faces like yours and all the other super talented Vietnamese people in our, um, in our space. Mm -hmm. awesome. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts.